Hello and welcome back to Revenge of the Drive-In. If you're listening to us on your regular podcast feed, of course, happy November. But please be aware that you could be listening to this and every other episode in advance at our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash revenge of the drive-in. I am your host, Patrick, and I am joined here by... Jim. Hello, everybody. Hello, Patrick. How are you? I'm great, Jim. So we, as always, we did two movies. We did Battle Royale from Battles Without Honor and Humanity director Kinji Fukasaku. And we did The Valley of Guanji, <laughs> which I've seen it listed as both The Valley of Guanji and The Valley of the Guanji. Now, you may say that's a distinction without a difference. It bothers me. I don't know what's the correct one here because because I'm, I'm the type of guy that cares that the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is chainsaw as two words. Like, I care about this stuff, and it's... <laughs> It's stupid and it's pointless, but it matters to me. Well, but also this movie, it could be the Valley of the Guanji or Valley of Guanji. You know what I mean? Is it is it a specific thing or is it not specific thing? And this movie makes it out to be a specific thing. But Jim, we are first talking about Battle Royale. And so I will let you introduce this fine, fine film. Okay, my friend. This movie came out in 2000. You've already mentioned the director. We've already covered him once before on... Our last episode of season three, right? Or second last episode, I should say. Yeah, other than the awards and everything, yes. I don't know whether you watched the dubbed version or subbed version, but I watched... Subtitled. I watched a dubbed version. It was on Tubi. Oh, great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and it was not... I I will say, I'm not 100% sure. I, I think this film exists as a couple different versions which shouldn't come as a surprise because for a long time this film wasn't released in the united states it's possible i watched like a director's cut or something and not even like the original theatrical version but of course the original theatrical version wouldn't have been theatrical in my home country anyways so (laughs) i don't know i do know that there is a director's cut i do not know if it's significantly different let me ask you this because my version started out with an explanation that this movie was not shown in Japan. Yes, yeah, mine started with that too, or whatever. Yeah. And I kind of understand why, <laughs> but also at the same time, with the with how violent movies are today, uh, you know, it, this is nothing compared to that. It, it's not necessarily the most violent movie ever, but it's a super violent movie about like fifteen-year-olds. Yeah, k- killing. Generally, fifteen-year-olds. Generally. Even like violent movies about fifteen-year-olds, they're not going to be this vi- this violent. Think of obviously the Hunger Games, which was going to be brought up once, at least one point at this in mm-hmm. this podcast. Because who's the author of the Hunger Games? Is uh, Suzanne Collins? I think. Sure. She's been accused of kind of like ripping off this, and I don't know how fair that is, especially because the book was written before. This film was released in the United States, so I don't even know if she knew about it. Well, I mean, it's not it, like no one had ever seen it. No, and The Hunger Games does have some major differences compared to this. Well, sure, but the same general idea. There's there's less of a... I was expecting this to have more of like a reality television element, which is what The Hunger Games does, mm-hmm. where it's like entertainment for the masses. Here, it's just... It's kind of just for the hell of it. I don't know. It's, it's well, weird. yeah, because I want to bring that up, but I guess I'll get into this anyways. 
The movie being released in 2000 is also set around the year 2000, I think like just past. And it takes place in this sort of dystopian present where Japan falls into a major recession with high unemployment rates and kids aren't forced to go to school so they just kind of drop out or come and go as they please. I think there's some like crazy figure like 800,000 young people have become delinquents or something like that. So to curb this, the government passes the BR Act, which stands for the Battle Royale Act, where delinquent children are selected and forced to fight each other to the death. <laughs> and the only way you get to go home is if you're the winner. And there can only be one winner. Then after that, they're supposed to just become good members of Japanese society, or like that's supposed to teach them a lesson. And we see the aftermath of the previous Battle Royale, which I don't know if this happens every year or like every month or whatever. Yeah, I don't think it's ever really... I assumed it was kind of a once a year thing, but maybe I'm thinking that's what it is in Hunger Games, so... Yeah, but we do see the last winner, or the, I guess the winner of the most recent Battle Royale, and it's like a woman, she's covered in blood, and she's like clutching a, like a teddy bear or something, and she's kind of smiling, this psychotic smile. Well, you say woman girl she's yeah. 15 she was only 50 she was only 15 years old you get michael kane she was only 15 she was only 15 years old you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off <laughs> she was only 15 years old oh my god we're introduced to a couple of characters right off the bat we have oh my god why do i always get the japanese ones it's a uh, shuya nanahara this is what you get for liking anime. You're, you're supposed to be able to read this stuff. <laughs> I know. Yeah. His mom left when he was in grade four, and his dad hanged himself the first day of grade seven. And we see a clip of his dad in the past, a little later in the movie, and the guy's just kind of like a piece of shit who's like yelling at waiters and stuff. Yeah, but I, you also get the impression. I mean, yes, he is. But you also get the impression that he's just dealing with a lot of shit. At least I did with the he, wife leaving. Yeah, and he's, with... he's, he's mentally unstable. Let's put it that way. So anyways, there's another character named uh, Yoshitoki, or Yoshitaki, who, he stabs his teacher named Mr. Kitano, and uh, his teacher later resigns after the incident, as one would. And there's this girl named Noriko Nakagawa. We are shown that she's the only person who shows up to Mr. Kitano's class when everybody else bails. And we can tell that the teacher's like pretty depressed by this. He's like, fuck, my kids don't, all these, all these students don't respect me, don't, they don't respect my class. That's another reason why he left. About a year after we're shown everybody bailing from their class, all the students of class B are on a field trip with their new teacher when everyone's knocked out by sleeping gas on this bus. And they all wake up in an abandoned school with the army and Mr. Kitano watching them. And he says, look guys, you were all selected for the battle royale because you're such bad kids. <laughs> and he, to prove that he's serious... He wheels in a stretcher with their new teacher, dead on it. And he says, look, look, this is what happened to your new teacher when we said that you guys are going to be part of the Battle Royale. He protested the decision, but we killed him because we don't give a shit. And you guys are here now. Kitano, is it just a complete coincidence that he has relationships with this class? No, that is his class. Well, no, he resigned. Yeah, but those were the students that were in his class. Yes, but it, does he... In, does? he introduced because he just works for the battle royale program or whatever so that's what i'm confused by i, don't I mean he, cla he claims he claims they selected this class at random but i don't know if i believe him oh see in my <laughs> see in my english dub he's like they selected you guys because you're such bad kids and i agreed with them no i think they said something about it being random i could be wrong though but also we've got two 
they call them transfer students. Mm-hmm. And you can tell something's up with them. They they look older. Yeah, what are their names? There's uh, give me because I wrote them down because I kept on forgetting their names. There's Kiriyama. Kiriyama is like the, like the crazy guy, and then there's uh, Kawada, Kawada. Yeah, I've been calling them by their opposite names this whole time. So you have Shogo, and you have oh, so you're calling them by the names that they don't actually say in the yes, movie. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. Shogo and Kazuo. Okay, well, first of all, I, I'm going to say that I made the mistake of watching this movie a few days ago, so it's not the freshest in my mind, which was a mistake because I'm already going to struggle with these names because, <laughs> because they're I don't know how to pronounce them. And there's a lot of characters here, obviously. And there's a lot of de- character development for even, like, minor characters. Well, and that's what makes this movie kind of confusing because there are because most of the characters don't matter, but every character gets character development. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm not sure if I liked that or if I kind of disliked it. I think it. I. It would almost have to take it on a case by case basis. I think sometimes it worked better than others. So I, you know, I got to be honest because it's kind of funny that you brought that up because when I was watching this movie, I thought, wow, this really is like an anime where a character is introduced, then almost immediately you get their backstory. And I understand why the movie wasn't structured this way, but I would have liked more at the school before they i i wanted the battle royale to start later so that we didn't introduce these characters through flashbacks so that we saw them so that we saw that girl get locked in the toilet stall Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. all that stuff like that's ends up being important for one reason or another later but it's really just told in flashbacks i found that as like a storytelling method a little frustrating but i but i also understand why it's there because if if you do it that way, you're talking about a half hour, maybe, before you actually get to this deserted island for the Battle Royale. And then, I don't know, it may, the impact of the shocking impact of just jumping into that violence isn't there if it, if it just comes about later, maybe. Yeah, I mean, realistically, this movie's two hours and, what, two minutes long. They could have structured it that way. And I mean, like, they could have cut out a lot of the student v. student stuff. But because I agree with you, I don't really like all the flashbacks. And it takes you out of the moment and makes things a little confusing, (laughs) you know. But as you were saying there, as you kind of alluded to, we jump right into the violence because all these students wake up and their teacher says, yeah, you know, you guys are part of this battle royale because you're all such shitty people. And as he's trying to explain the rules, you see that it gets frustrated at a girl who's whispering to another girl. So he whips a piece of chalk at her and, like, tells her to shut the fuck up. And then he puts on like like an information VHS. This was great. Yeah, for all these students to learn about how the battle royale works. And almost as soon as he's put it on, another girl's whispering to somebody. And he says, hey, I told you, stop whispering. And he throws something. It turns out to be a fucking knife. And it plugs her right in the forehead and kills her. And he's so, I like, I like that actor a lot, or I like the way he acted in this part, because he just kind of coldly and matter-of-factly says, Oh, oops, I killed her. Am I allowed to kill them? I don't know. Anyway, she's dead now. Yeah, Yeah. this guy, <laughs> this guy was great. Takeshi Kitano is his name. Okay, yeah. He is a parent. I looked into him a little bit. Um, I don't think I had ever seen him in anything, but he's apparently super famous in japan but he's not necessarily f- that famous as like a film actor and, and he does direct films as well but he's just like a uh comedian and tv host so oh. it's and and it's like i could kind of see why you would want a guy like that in this role because he is kind of 
a bit of a TV host or a bit of a host for the these whole these games and everything. It, but it's just like if you had cast like Jonathan Ross or like Ryan Seacrest, maybe kind of interesting casting. But he brings a lot of personality to the role. You uh, they hint at a lot of just kind of a miserable home life for him, and then obviously a, a miserable work life. I mean, anybody who gets stabbed at work, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. great. <laughs> well, well, also, sorry, I'm getting a little distracted because I didn't actually look up the actor's name. But as soon as you said Takeshi and you said he's a TV personality, he <laughs> was one of the stars on one of the most influential television programs to come out uh, to come out of Japan. I'm telling you this right now. The program was called Takeshi's Castle. You might have seen okay. it on television back in the day, Patrick. No, why would I have? Here in Canada, it was broadcast on Spike TV a lot and then on like other channels. And it ran from like the late 80s to like 1990, I think. And <laughs> it's, so this guy Takeshi, Takeshi Kitano and uh, Hayato Tani, I think that was his name. They were both these two hosts who dressed like shoguns and they sat <laughs> in like this castle set and they had like these awful, terrible jokes and stuff like that that were dubbed over by English voice actors for the North American market. But they had just had like a whole host of like Japanese people competing in, in a game much like, um, what's that American television show with like the big red balls that you got to jump across? Oh, Wipeout, things Wipeout, like that. Wipeout, yeah. So Takeshi's yeah. Castle is the original Wipeout. So I have, have heard that those kinds of shows in America have kind of come from Japanese game shows and stuff. I know J- there's some really weird Japanese game shows and stuff out there, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, if you got a chance, you should check out Takeshi's Castle because it's amazing. And <laughs> one last thing on it, when it was dubbed over for the North American market, they just had like people dubbing over Japanese people and just saying random things. So like they would introduce Mrs. You know Yamamoto or something like that to come up to, to make her way through this obstacle course. And she would like shout something in, in Japanese and pump, you know, pump her fist in the air. And presumably in real life, she was saying like, I've got this, I'm going to win. But when they dubbed it over into English, they'd like, she'd be like, I love hot dogs. And they're like, oh, that's great for Mrs. Yamamoto. I hope she loves those big sausages, you know. <laughs> oh, then... so, so they like, they, I don't want to say they took a serious show. But they took a show and yeah. just dubbed it for comedic effect. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it was great. But yeah, Takeshi was on it. Takeshi's castle. I mean, Takeshi Kitano apparently is a comedian, though. So it's possible that they were doing things kind of like that in the original Japanese. Exactly, yeah. You know, non-dubbed version. But I'm, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure they, didn't, they didn't take a, a lot of what he said and change it. Well, sure Japan it doesn't have hot dogs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They have Japa dogs. Are Japa you familiar dogs. with Japa dogs? No, I haven't. I haven't been to Japan. It's a bit. It's a big thing out in. Well, it's not in Japan. Well, I mean, maybe it, maybe it is, but it's big out in like Vancouver. Uh-oh. It's like uh, hot dogs made of like. I'm tempted to say kimchi, but kimchi's Korean, right? But it's like it's like they they use like seaweed. They use like all sorts of things that are used in Japanese food. I think it looks disgusting, but people like them. So you that know. sounds disgusting. Also, now that now that we mentioned Takeshi Kitano, I'm not going to go into a lot of details with the rest of the cast because I don't know too much. But I did he- read that a lot of the Utes, as Joe Pesci would say in this film, ended up going on to be really famous in Japan. They were re- they became really successful actors. So I'm picturing this as like a bit of a wet hot American summer or like a. Uh, or freaks and geeks, like something okay, that, yeah. like in this case, in this case, this movie was big. Those those things really weren't when they came out, but the actors went on to be big later. But I did recognize one guy, the guy who plays Kuriyama, or as you would call him, Kazuo, 
who's the, the more psychotic of the mm-hmm. transfer students. He's a really cool dude in Sukiyaki Western Django, which is a Takashi Miike spaghetti Western inspired like Japanese Western. Oh, that, okay. That Quentin Tarantino has a cameo in for some reason, but uh, oh, yeah, I recognize that guy. I'm like, oh, that guy, he looks cooler in that movie, but he looks pretty cool here too. He Well, he looks like an actual anime character in this movie and you're like, oh. he kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so this television program thing is on. It's explaining the rules of the Battle Royale. This woman who's doing the demonstration, this is like a perfect performance. This looks like everything I've ever seen in that. What's that What's that word? They use? There's a word for it, but that like Japanese cutesy kind of yeah I, I culture thing i know what you're I know, saying it, I don't it's know like it's like what hello kitty is that there's like a specific word for that type of thing this this like culture surrounding cuteness and this woman does like a spot on to me it's exaggerated maybe in japan it's not but d- depicts that perfectly and there's like an irony in it because she's she's telling them about how they're all gonna have to kill each other yeah. of course <laughs> Yeah. Well, there's a new thing I've discovered where a friend showed me. Shout out to Mila. She showed me Baby Metal, and that came Is out of Japan. Jovovich? No, no. But yeah, she showed me this Goodness. thing called Baby Metal, where uh, it's just like cute girls dressed really cutely sing metal. Oh, God. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm not into it, but it was interesting to watch. It just reminds me of Jingle Cats, is what that reminds me of. I don't even know what Jingle Cats is. It's it's the little it's the, those like early YouTube. It's those. It actually probably predates YouTube. But you just take cats and have them meow and arrange them oh. to like a Christmas song. That's what that reminds. That's what that sounds like. Every bit is irritating. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. Well, for this battle royale, they're all on a deserted island, and they have to listen out for four announcements a day at like six, noon, six, and midnight. Mr. Kitano is going to come on the loudspeaker and tell them which one of their friends are dead and which zones of the island are safe or unsafe. And if they don't get out of, like, this unsafe zone fast enough, they're all wearing these necklaces which will explode. Yeah, and and we gotta say, this movie, huge influence, either direct or indirect, on pop culture. We we mentioned the Mm -hmm. Hunger Games. The other big thing, and this is, quite frankly, now more relevant than the Hunger Games, is uh, Fortnite. And just the battle royale type yes, games. Yeah. I don't, Jim. I, you don't strike me as a Fortnite guy. No, I've played but, about. Uh, but I do know it. Five games, but the, but this is this is what uh, in Fortnite they have like the the storm or whatever where the, like the map shrinks and you have to you have to move. And th- that's basically what this is with these safe and unsafe zones. I don't know if the unsafe zones ever become safe. I don't think they ever really explain that, or if, or if it's like a constant shrinking mm-hmm. of the map. I don't think they really specify. No, and also it, this like PUBG, which was like the first of those yeah, battle PUBG, royale it, games, right? It it was Fortnite went on to be bigger. I'm I'm an Apex Legends guy. I've had a lot of fun playing that game. It's <laughs> they're all the same game yeah. basically. I think so. Yeah, but I enjoy that. Yeah, well, much like these games, yeah. If if you don't get out of the zone, right, you're gonna die. And we get. Yoshi, whatever the hell his name is, uh, is made an, uh, an example of Yoshitoki because he starts just kind of freaking out and Mr. Uh, the, the teacher is just like, okay, I'm going to blow you up. Like, you're freaking out. You're not going to calm down. I'm just going to set your necklace off, which he does. And then the kid's throat explodes and kills him. Yeah, and obviously this one specifically is, is a little personal 
for yeah. Katano because yeah, this, this is, is the, the kid that, that stabbed him, him in the ass. <laughs> yeah. So so again, going back to according to your dubbed version, this class was chosen specifically because they're all assholes. But um, I think in my the Japanese language version of the subtitles, I'm pretty sure they were chosen at random. But there's that Katano being there leads me to believe that's not 100 percent true, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, which would make sense. So there's one final rule, I guess, of this game, and it sort of relates to these necklaces. It's that, you know, if they deem that you're not playing the game or you're cheating, the people running the game can set your necklaces off with a transmitter. Which doesn't really come back? No. I expected that to be a big part of the movie because there are a few characters that spend the entirety of this game basically trying to figure out how to take that thing off and how to, I don't know. Yeah, which, and I, and again, like, the second, la- or I guess the last rule here kind of negates that rule anyways, which is if there's more than one person left alive at the end of three days, all the necklaces are going to go off and kill everybody anyways. Yes, also, we didn't specify, but everyone is given a bag, a bag of stuff, and they will have food, water, a, ma- a map, they will have a weapon, although we see... There's a heavy, heavy uh, variance in terms of how useful these weapons are. Some people get, someone gets a literal fan. Yeah, um, yeah. And then yeah. other people get automatic <laughs> weapons. So it's, and, and it's supposed to be given out at random. But again, there's the crazier of the two transfer students, Kiriyama. He gets a bag in, when he leaves and then he comes back and says, that's not my bag. Give me my bag. So yeah, I don't know. There's a, a little bit of mystery about who these transfer students are. We do get the backstory of one of them. and But Kiriyama, we never really learn what his deal is. I think they just say something about he's the one guy that came here by choice. So yes. I think that's yeah, supposed to be he's a bit of a psychopath. He just wants to kill people. But we really don't get more than that. No. I kept waiting for there to be more backstory to him. Yeah. With all the rules explained... The game essentially begins, kids are called up, they're thrown a bag, and they just have to get the hell out and start playing. And uh, when one of our main characters, Shuya, gets his stuff, he runs out and immediately there's a classmate who wanders up to him with a crossbow bolt in her neck and she dies in front of him. And she's shot by some fat dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he looks up and he sees the kid that shot her and he starts chasing her, him. But then the fat kid is killed by another kid who picks up his crossbow after he falls down. And like, it's just, it's just, <laughs> it's all falling apart immediately. Yeah. And th- this was really interesting too, how it kind of starts. It starts for Shuya, who's the character that we follow into this battle royale. It starts in medias rest, like someone is dying in front of him, like literally immediately. He's a couple paces away from this complex, this building. Yeah. You know, the guy shot her because, like, that's what he's supposed to do. But, you you know, in a thing like this, you wonder, because especially because it's just people are just thrown into this situation. No one's training for it. You know, it's not like the Hunger Games where they know what they're going to do when they have however many months or years to train for it. Here, it's just like, you don't know what your, what your peers are going to do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's actually one of the better aspects of the movie is that there are so many different points of view of these different characters. And a lot of them are kind of just like they're kind of sticking with their friends and they're just like, yeah, we'll figure out a way to, to get through this. We're not going to kill anyone. And then sometimes there's things that change that mindset. But otherwise, I mean, yeah, it's just just really interesting. It felt real. It did. 
Yeah, and, and you can tell right off the bat that none of the students actually want to kill each other, except for two. <laughs> like, there's two who are a- actively trying to kill other people. Everybody else is just kind of... Well, I, I would say one, because transfer student Kawada, or Kawada, or whatever, who, again, you call him something different... <laughs> I'm going by what Wikipedia lists as their last names because that is the name that they are called in the movie. I know Japanese names are like different, you know, than mm-hmm. Western names. But uh, so Kawada is Shogo, but he really only kills people that have weapons of value. Yeah. He's not just out there trying to kill people. Like he goes up to someone and he's like, what weapon do you have? And he's like, I have a pot lid. And he's like, okay, you can go then. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, he's he, he's killing only who he needs to kill. So that's a completely, Kur- Kuriyama is just killing everything that walks. Basically, it's, it's <laughs> different. Is, yeah. Well, then there's also this crazy girl. Oh, God. This is the best character in the movie. Mitsuki, I think that's her name. Mi- Mitsuko. Oh, yeah. Okay. Who, this, no, never mind, this is not the actress that I had seen in something else. There is an actress in here that is in one of the, or maybe both of the Kill Bills. She's the one with the swinging chain of death thing. Yeah, that's, she is the girl that goes jogging in this, in this movie. Well, so immediately, Shuya and Noriko kind of band together and they run to a beachside cave and Shuya bandages noriko's arm she got shot in the classroom earlier and speaking of a pot lid shuya has a pot lid lid noriko has binoculars so they don't really have actual weapons Mm -hmm. around the same time the crazy transfer student what's his name kuriyama kuriyama yeah he runs into a group of five people and they kind of start harassing him and then he just takes one of their submachine guns and wipes all five of them out and he Mm -hmm. steals like we see him picking up their guns their pistols and their grenades yeah, there's a grenade, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah, there's two grenades on the ground. And one of them makes a comeback, which is great. And then we also see that other students are just killing themselves. Like, the distress is yeah, just Yeah, a lot too of people just them. kill themselves, yeah. Yeah, like, two students jump off a cliff into the ocean, and then another two hang themselves. And there's, and there's a lot of, like, dying together. There's a lot of, like, boyfriend-girlfriend stuff. Yeah. And that's kind of with Shuya, with Shuya and Noriko... They're not dating, but they're clearly close to each other. You know, it's it's implied at least one is crushing on the other one, maybe both. Yes, yeah. But it's also shown throughout the film that, like, seven different women are into Shuya. I know, he's, he's, he's a, a he's ladies' a fucking, man, I guess. Yeah, I know, he's a baller, you know? <laughs> well, the next morning, uh, Mr. Katano makes his announcements. He's like, ah, these kids are dead. These zones are unsafe at these times. Also, you, you, you failed to mention... Although maybe it's different in your version, but when people die, mm-hmm. this it goes to like a black screen and it says like who, or I don't remember if it went to a black screen, but text comes up and it says who died and what number they were. And then it says how many are left. Yes. Yeah. Battles without honor and, and humanity did that where yeah. so-and-so died and it said like when, you know, it didn't say how many are left because it's <laughs> not, it's, it, it's not a game, but yeah, so it did that. Yeah, which was pretty neat. I liked that. I liked being able to keep track of how many people were alive or dead. Yes, yeah. Uh, Also, there's a lot of just like child-on-child violence, and I don't know how to describe any of it, because it's just like, oh, kid was had his throat slit. Other kid was shot in the back five times. Other kid... So sometimes I'm just going to come to sections. Let's talk about Mitsuko then. Yeah. Because her descent into madness is important. The backstory reveal is way later, but she... We see she's kind of 
crazy and unhinged pretty early on. I think it's the first night. Well, you know what? Let's just talk about her backstory now, then. How about that? Well, why? That's like a reveal that, like, 110 minutes in. But if you want to, sure, that's fine. Yeah, her, well, see, her mom's a drunk. Yeah. No dad in the picture. Yeah, and her mom uh, was going to let her get raped as a kid. I think the mom was maybe even drugged so that it would happen because her mom's boyfriend or whatever takes young Mitsuko upstairs. And then he's doing this like really creepy stuff where he's taking clothes off a doll. And then he's like, hey, you can do this too. And then she just pushes him down the stairs and he dies. Yeah. And I think the mom is actually happy about that because I think when the mom is like passed out, she's basically like, she's kind of mumbling, but she's basically like, "Uh, don't let this, you know, this being who I am happen to you yeah you don't want to be a loser like your mother or whatever she said so yes this girl is unhinged and it turns out that she's the quiet one in the classroom yeah she's the quiet one in friends and it turns out because she's a psychopath that's why and she comes up on a classmate in a shed who's like looking at polaroid photos of this guy that she has a crush on and she takes this little scythe thing that she has and just slits her friend's throat Mm -hmm. And thus getting her weapon, which was a taser. Yeah. Which, kind of a shitty weapon to get, really. Well, as they say, you know, it's not good to kill anyone unless the person has a heart issue, which I kept expecting that to come back with the fat guy. I I think (laughs) the fat kid's already dead at this point. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the night that they were all let out. But on the second day of this game, uh, there's lots of child-on-child violence. And at one point, our two main characters get attacked by a guy wielding, like, a hatchet. And Shuya... Who's, who's Shuya's friend? I don't remember this guy's name, but he's, like, a close friend, I think. Yeah, I, I guess so. And they both slide down this embankment, and he somehow accidentally gets the hatchet to the top of the head. And it's kind of like a bit of a disturbing scene. Like, he stands up, and he's rubbing his eyes, and he goes, Oh, I don't feel great. I'm sorry for attacking you. I don't know. And then he just collapses dead. Then they get they, another kid starts shooting at them. And then the guy who I'm going to call Shogo runs in, because that's what they were calling him in my version, who's the, the nice transfer student. He runs in mm-hmm. and saves them from this lone assassin, this lone shooter. Who, by the way, this actor, Taro Yamamoto, he's like a politician now. Oh, is so he? That he's like a leader of a like a democratic socialist type political party, it looks like. So I don't, it looks like he's in office in some capacity. Wow, good, so good for, for him. him. Kind of interesting. Yeah. He almost kind of looked like a younger version of Bunta Sugawara. I've already forgotten what that guy looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're right. I don't remember. Shogo, my Shogo, he saves Shuya and uh, Noriko. He also kind of stops them from running up onto the side of this hill when two uh, two female students are using a megaphone. And they're like, come here, we don't want to fight. We want to stop fighting. One, one of whom has a crush on Shuya. That's what this is established because... Uh... Noriko's like, wait, did, doesn't she like you or something? Yeah, yeah. And again, I, and again this seems to come up with like every yeah, female exactly. character every in the woman movie. They run it's into. kind of strange. Yeah. It, almost, it almost felt like the movie was was written by that actor. Because, <laughs> <laughs> oh, everyone loves me. <laughs> well, these two girls up on the side of the hill being stupid, they're immediately gunned down by the uh, psychotic transfer student who just riddles them with bullets. Like, constantly. This guy's KDR is insane. <laughs> Yeah, he's probably got the best one, honestly, out of all the well, students. I don't know. Is is seventeen to one better than one to zero? I don't know. <laughs> someone because at least one person doesn't die in this movie. That is Spoilers. true. Yeah. I mean, that's literally the conceit of the game. But 
<laughs> and spoilers, I guess, Kiriyama does die, but I don't think that's a shock. After this, Shogo and Noriko and Shuya all kind of split up, though Noriko and Shuya are together and Noriko collapses. She's sick. Her bullet wound isn't healing properly. He carries her to a clinic that's at the edge of this abandoned town, and that's where Shogo is. Yeah, they run into him again. I'm going to go, I'm going to skip forwards in time and then go back in time because we get to his backstory. Yeah. But it's only after we see something else. But his backstory is that he was in the battle royale before. He had a lady friend Mm -hmm. and they both. Which, which is a little predictable because like he, he's older than you can tell he's older than the others. Like I figured it was something like that. Yeah. And he takes off his little bandana and he's got like a big scar on his forehead and everything. Yeah, him and his lady friend made it to the end, and just as time is about to run out, both of their necklaces start flashing. And it's, it's actually, I really like this shot. And they both lean in to hug each other, and his lady friend just blasts him through the stomach with a pistol. And he kind of rolls down the hill, and he turns around and he shoots her twice. And she dies in his arms, but as she's dying, she looks up at him and says, thank you. And she smiles and then dies. Yeah, and so he has this thing, like, he wants to figure out why she said thank you. Like, what that meant. Yeah, and... And that... that his, that's his reasoning for coming back here, supposedly. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a thing where, like, oh, even if you survive, you're still kind of enslaved to this, like, BR that's group what I thought, or whatever. Yeah. And that's not really what it is. No, and also, he, he, he comes back for a dumb reason, though. Because, like, Noriko, upon hearing the story, he has a photo of, of his old girlfriend. He hands it to Noriko. She goes... Oh, I can. She goes, I don't know, but I, I think I can tell you why she was smiling. It's the same reason she's smiling in this photo. He's like, what do you mean? She goes, well, he was, she, she was in love with you. And he's like, oh, <laughs> that, make, that makes sense. Oh, I never no, thought no, of that. No, no, no. I mean, listen, he obviously that thought <laughs> crossed his mind, but his point is like, how can you still say thank you in the moments of, of death when you two had to shoot each other and stuff it's more it's a bit more than just like oh yeah they were boyfriend girlfriend like i think i think that's fair i think i'm okay with that well now okay now before this backstory we're introduced to a whole slew of characters that aren't really that important there's a group of students who have banded together like three nerdy students and they're trying to who are all shuya's friends again because everyone loves shuya yeah yeah shuya is like the most popular kid in this class i guess yeah. <laughs> even though this never that's we kind of just learned that throughout the movie it's yeah. not like established early and it's just like every single like character we come across later on is like oh yeah shoot yeah i love that guy yeah, it's like, like yeah i saved him because <laughs> why is him? anyone trying to kill him <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah but these three nerdy nerdy classmates this one guy like pops open a laptop like like they lug a generator up the stairs with the help of like this fourth kid who is looking for a woman that he knows Oh, this big time simp dude, yeah. Yeah, well, but the, yeah. well, there's actually two, two. Well, one's not a simp; he's more of a rapist. But well, um, the other was one this isn't, the simp? Well, he's not even a simp because at the end, it turns out he doesn't even like her, and he has a crush on somebody else. Oh, I guess. Well, but there is a guy who just like gets killed by his lady love, even though she she yeah, never knew okay. he liked her or something. <laughs> okay. That's I, the simp I'm thinking of. Okay, that guy's great. Is but, that this guy? No. So uh, we'll get to that in a second, though. But these three. Students, but this also isn't the guy that attempts rape later either. No, though, correct. Is it correct? No. Okay, because that guy sucks. The the ugly guy. They like refer to him as like having like terrible complexion or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. Anyways, there's these three students. They've like holed up in this building, and they've got like a laptop going and everything. And this one guy's like a bit of a hacker, and you can tell that they're trying to. He's trying to like figure out these necklaces and how to stop them. He's also like trying to hack into their system and. He figures out that those necklaces must have a hearing device. So that's why he starts typing 
instructions yes. to his friends because he doesn't want them to know what he's doing. But they kind of abandon that later on when they're like ready to hack. They just start kind of talking and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> yes. So that's going on. You have three guys trying to take down the system, man. And then you have lady who likes to go jogging or girl who likes to go jogging rather kill bill woman yes also in kind of almost a kill bill jumpsuit if it was a slightly different yeah a little little game of deathy yes (laughs) game of deathy and she's out for a jog on this island and which is something i probably wouldn't do no exactly there's people out there with crossbows and shit and speaking well speaking of crossbows she stops and this guy who's in love with her comes up behind her and goes there you are i found you want to have sex and she's like, no, I don't want to touch you, you fucking disgusting creature. And he's like, but w- you're a virgin and we're all going to die here anyway. So let's at least fuck. <laughs> and she's like, and she essentially calls him ugly and gross and like wash yourself, trim your hair, that kind of shit. And he kind of threatens to shoot her with his crossbow. And this girl kind of nudges him and he fires and he misses, but he cuts her cheek open. So she bends down to her bag and pulls out this knife and they just hops on top of him and gives him a couple solid stabs to the dick yeah (laughs) and then the rest of his body on top of that a guy that we were introduced to earlier in the scene with the nerds he's looking for this woman because they used to hang out all the time and we as the audience are kind of led to believe that they like each other yeah because we have kind of the little flashback of him kind of following her with the bike yeah and she's like i can run forever as long as you're behind me He's looking for this woman. Well, as soon as Tracksuit Girl kills this kid, crazy uh, Mitsuko Mitsuko. shows up and she starts shooting at her. (laughs) And she does shoot and wound and eventually kill this poor girl who dies in like a barn or something where this guy finds her. That was on like a bridge. Oh, was it? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But this guy's got like a track. It was definitely outdoors, whatever it was. Oops. Anyways, this guy, his weapon was a tracker, so he can find everybody, right? I think that's him. Which is low-key, like, the most valuable thing he could have. It's not like a a true... Oh, wait, if this is the guy with the tracker... So this is the simp, but th- but this isn't the woman that he's a simp for. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay, th- I, I understand why I was confused then. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He simps pretty hard later, and that's what gets him killed. <laughs> Uh, spoilers. <laughs> he gets killed by his lady love who yeah. didn't even know he yeah. liked her. Which, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, we'll have to touch on it later, but I love this scene. It comes later on in the movie. He's, like, trying to find her. He sees her and he's calling for her. He's like, come here. I'm here. I'm looking for you. I'm here. And then she just starts plugging him <laughs> with a gun. And he's like, why? And she's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He goes, but I loved you. And then he dies. <laughs> and then she's like, wait, why didn't you ever talk to me, though? Then, if that's the case. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, tracksuit girl dies, and Mitsuko has has claimed another victim. So, flash-forwarding back to Shogo and his backstory, as soon as he's done telling them, crazy, psychotic, I forget what you call him, but I call him Kazuo. Kiriyama. He shows up, and he's just chasing a guy. through this like little like town that they, the, the, this this abandoned town and he shoots him a couple times in the chest and you think he's dead but it's great this kid's <laughs> weapon was a bulletproof vest <laughs> and he stands up after after uh, Kiriyama leaves and he says oh my god I can't believe I survived and he turns around and Kiriyama's on the roof with a samurai sword <laughs> and he hops down and cuts his head off which is pretty awesome but everybody inside is making too much noise and Kiriyama discovers that they're hiding in there so he takes <laughs> the kid's head and throws it through the window 
And then there's a <laughs> you close-up know what of this the... reminded me of this oh, what? Uh, the Return of the King that release the prisoners. Oh yeah. <laughs> release the prisoners. Get them up. So this kid, this poor dead kid's head has a grenade in his mouth, which is pretty awesome. And it explodes. And Shuya kind of sacrifices himself. He he starts luring Kiriyama away. And I don't know what's going on with this guy. I don't think it's ever explained. But at one point, Shuya looks like he's he's trapped and he just pulls out his gun and shoots this kid twice in the chest. And yeah, Kiriyama so. definitely has a bulletproof vest as well. We, it's never established as well as it was with that other guy. But he has to have a bullet. I mean, yeah, he must, right? Because he's he's invincible otherwise. And that's, again, that's why he took the specific bag that he took. He probably knew there was a bulletproof vest in there, and he probably figures, I can get the machine guns and the grenades from other people that I kill, but I need a bulletproof vest. Mm -hmm. Well, Shuya and the kid who's a simp, right, they both jump into the ocean because Shuya's been shot a couple times. When Shuya wakes up, he's all bandaged up in a lighthouse. And there's a girl in there who, surprise, surprise, is into him. And she bandaged him up. And there's like a line about, he's like, did you bandage me up? And she goes, hee hee, I did. It's the first time I've ever touched a boy's body. Hee hee hee. You ever seen a grown man naked? This was my favorite scene in the movie, I think. Oh, it's great. There's a lot of good scenes. This is probably my favorite. This was incredibly tense. And I just love like a good misunderstanding that drives action. Yeah, well, I, I love this because she, because this whole scene is prefaced by her saying, you're safe here, you're all, you're a-okay, it's noon yeah. on the second day. So, like, they have essentially another day, right, before they all die. So they got to figure out something quick. Shuya is telling this girl, he's like, oh, well, I've met up with this guy Shogo, and he knows how to get us off the island and save everybody. And she's like, really? Okay, well, we have to meet up with him. And she also says, and by the way, Shuya, you're safe here, we're here with all of my friends. Mm-hmm. We're all a okay, and he goes great. Goes, and, but I'm but I'm gonna lock you in your room because one of my friends, including my friend that saw you kill her <laughs> boyfriend with the hatchet, even though yeah. that's not technically what happened, but that's what it looked like. Yeah, I'm gonna lock your door because she's terrified of you. And he's like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Like I understand. So almost immediately, <laughs> this girl goes downstairs, and they're just chatting about what they should do, how they should go meet up with Shogo because he seems like he knows what he's doing, and he's found a way to get us off the island and save everybody. And she goes to that one girl and, oh, by the way, he said it was an accident. And then they yeah. think that's like she's just going to let it go. But yeah, exactly. She's, <laughs> she's but, already poisoned the most disgusting looking pasta I've seen in my life. I don't know if that's what pasta is in Japan, but the subtitle said pasta. Yeah, it looked, it looked like it looked like water with noodles in it. Like, I was going to say it looked like noodles with broth. <laughs> and it didn't look like pasta. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's what they call pasta in Japan and it's something else. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, so this girl has poisoned this soup, and this other girl, who's totally, who's like blissfully unaware of everything, sits down. Yeah, she just steps in. She has no idea what's going on, and she's like, "Oh, food! I'm hungry." And yeah, like, she ah. takes a bite, and then she immediately starts like vomiting blood. <laughs> Amazing, yeah, <laughs> which is awesome. And then that triggers all the other quote unquote friends, and they all just start pulling guns on each other like it's a Mexican standoff. They all just start shooting each other with like pistols and submachine guns, and. <laughs> everybody's getting blown away and killed there's just blood all over this kitchen and there's that great moment where the one girl whose i guess best friend was just killed who's shot a bunch of people she looks at the girl who actually did the poison she's like you don't have anything to do with this killing and she just kind of shakes her head and then she goes and like shoots the others so, so, so the one person the one person who's <laughs> survives is, is completely her fault 
Well, so that's great. So after everybody dies, this girl gets out from under her table and she's like, it's not my fault. I didn't mean to. And poor Shuya is upstairs. He hears all the bullets. He's trying to get out. This girl unlocks the door. And then she says something like, you have to forgive me. Like, I, I didn't mean to. I forgot how much I liked them. And then <laughs> she climbs to the top of the lighthouse and throws herself off onto the rocks below. <laughs> Everybody in this movie just goes fucking nuts. Not only for Shuya, but against each other. <laughs> yeah, and what I like is that it's motivated. Mm-hmm. Shuya then decides, he's like, look, I gotta go find my friends. I gotta go find Noriko and Shogo. Uh, we get a report from Takeshi and... He's like listing off all the people that are dead. But we see a quick shot of Mitsuko and she's like putting her clothes on and there's like two dead naked boys there. And I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. is this to imply that she fucked these guys and then killed them? Or killed them and then fucked them maybe even. Oh, ew. No, it was probably more like she got their guard down by saying, hey, let's have a threesome and then it's easier to kill them if they're unclothed because they can't reach for a hidden weapon. Unless they have it up their ass. Well, and then we also cut back to our nerdy classmates. And one of them has an uncle who's like, I don't know what you'd call him. I want to call him a terrorist. Special forces? I guess so, yeah. Because they're talking about him going to like far-flung places and... Yeah, he's he's special ops. He's he's okay. um, he's what they pretend that uh, Steven Seagal is in all those movies. <laughs> where he just wears also, a also- tent. It's also what Steven Seagal pretends he is in real life. Well, yeah, it's, 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 this is when he's kidnapping women and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. No. So, uh, yeah, the Steven Seagal movies that claim this is the toughest special ops guy ever, and then he just sits down the entire movie yeah, and he's, just and he's very clearly overweight. Breath. Yeah, it's those oh, movies are amazing. Those guys. <laughs> These nerdy guys, they're also making explosives. They've got, like, a bunch of fertilizer and stuff. So Shuya heads to where Shogo and Noriko are, but he's, like, super badly injured. He's been shot up. He's doesn't hasn't had time to recover, and he's got to walk across, you know, huge portions of the island to find his friends. Noriko, who's hanging out with Shogo in, like, this, like, little Japanese temple, she has a dream about standing on the riverbank with their teacher. And this was she, strange. It, it is, yeah. And when she wakes up, she tells Shogo, and he's like, oh, that must have been scary. And she said, no, it wasn't scary. He seemed kind of lonely. Yeah, now, and we see this scene later in the movie, too. Mm-hmm. In this scene, we don't hear anything that they're saying. They, We mm-hmm. can tell they're talking to each other, but it's all, like, music, and it's shot from far away. And then you can—I think they do a few close-ups where you can tell they're saying something, but we don't hear it. Yeah, and I think it's around this time in the movie. I could be mistaken. It might have already passed, but— we see Takeshi sitting in like the the like this command central office. I mean, whatever. it's the phone call from his son or whatever. Yeah, from I think it's his daughter, and yeah, <laughs> and she's like, "When are you coming home?" He goes, "Oh, I'm not going to be home tonight. I'm a little busy, unfortunately. I'm, I'm on a work trip." And she goes, "Oh, I don't believe you. I can smell your stinking breath through the phone." And he's like, uh, "Okay," <laughs> and I just thought, and I felt bad for him too. I was like, "Oh shit!" And his kid hangs up on him, and he just puts the phone back down. So Noriko does head out to find Shuya in the woods. But she runs into Mitsuko. Who pulls a gun Who is about to murder her. And then Takeshi shows up randomly in the woods. with Also, we we missed a scene earlier where Mitsuko ran into another girl at that shed where she had been hanging out. That was um, the girl whose throat she slit. It was like her best friend or whatever. Yeah. And so she kind of takes Mitsuko hostage because she's like, "You, you killed her. I know you did. But then... 
I think Mitsuko turns over her weapon, the um, weird mini scythe thing, but then mm-hmm. she ends up using using the taser that she got from this person's friend, and she ends up getting the gun. That's where she gets the gun. Yes, yeah. But, yeah, Takeshi just shows up randomly in the woods, and it's pouring rain. Mitsuko runs away, and he gives Noriko an umbrella because Shuya shows up badly hurt and collapses on the ground in front of her. And Takeshi just says, hey, don't catch a cold, gives her the umbrella, and walks away. This was weird, too, because Mitsuko leaves when she sees Kitano. And this made me think, like, okay, is, is, like, everything going to this guy's plan or something? Is she, like... Because she's the one who's... who's She's the non-transfer student who's most complicit in murder. Mm-hmm. Did he know all this about her and that's why she's in this class? I don't know. And it didn't, doesn't really come back, but... No, there's a lot of things that, that never really her, get tied up in this movie. Yeah, in front of uh, Katano, I guess. Well, now, now we come to the simp scene. Where the simp runs into this building to find the love of his life, and then she kills him. <laughs> and <laughs> and he's like, you gotta... He, it's, it's like a flooded warehouse or something. Yeah, and I love, there's like a line place. where he's like, y- you should leave now because of the gunshots. People will hear them. They'll be coming. She goes, why are you trying to help me? And he's like, because I love you. <laughs> and she's like, What? <laughs> She's uh, like, I don't even know your name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. who are you? No, notice how we haven't said this guy's name because no. I don't know. It's Guess what? not a big He's a character. fucking simp loser, dude. But then Mitsuko shows up and I think she kills the, the, the lady, the girl. Yes, the object of this unnamed man's affection. <laughs> yeah. And then Kiriyama shows up as well and they kind of duke it out. Mitsuko gets a couple, like lands a couple of good shots on him and I think and then she slices his chest, and I think this is when you see that he's got the bulletproof. Yeah, stuff. that's right. This yeah. this is where at this point we can piece it together already. But this is confirmation of of said bulletproof vest. Yeah, Kuriyama just kills Mitsuko. I mean, there's nothing super special about it. He just kills her. And she, this, I think, is when we we already talked about it. But I think this is when we see her backstory yeah, this, too. And, and it's kind of sad. So this is when we see her backstory. Then her backstory is super sad. It is. And as she's dying, words come up on the screen, and it says, "I just." didn't want to be a loser anymore and then she dies yeah and you're like oh that's kind of she dies a loser yeah she does literally Uh, no i don't know well i mean yeah she doesn't win the game so i guess technically. (laughs) well then we catch up with our hacker nerdy bomb maker people and (laughs) they've put a bunch of explosives into the back of one of these tiny japanese mini trucks They've also hacked the military's battle royale system, and it begins shutting down, or, or, or they begin taking over the system. And then Kitana walks up into the, in the control room, and he just like opens a panel and shuts all the computers off. And then he says, turn them back on in, in like 15 minutes or reboot them or whatever. We cut back to the nerdy people, and they're like, okay, we've got 15 minutes. We're going to blow up the abandoned school that everybody's in with this mini truck full of explosives. But then Kiriyama shows up and just starts killing all of these kids. He kills two out of the three, but the third one does kind of like a cool Spider-Man-y jump move over the top of this mini truck, and he like punches or like he hits the front of it, and it just explodes, mm-hmm. <laughs> sending fire everywhere in literally every single direction. And so he's clearly dead. It's implied Kiriyama could easily be dead too. But then our main three characters they show up, and Kiriyama is still alive, but he's been blinded by the explosion, right? Mm-hmm. And this is when he really looks like an anime character. <laughs> He's like surrounded by fire and the Shogo comes up behind him 
and Kiriyama just turns around and just starts spraying his gun, and that's when you realize that he's blind. But I think Shogo does shoot him right in the face, yeah. right? And like, yeah, because it explodes I, his it, head. It had to have been, yeah. So that's cool. Now there's only three people left, and it's our it's our main three here. So we see all three of them sitting together next to the ocean or something, and Shogo double crosses them. He pulls a gun out, and he's like, I did have a way of getting off of the island, and it was by... You guys made a mistake. You trusted me. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, well, come on. Stop joking around. He goes, no, seriously. He's like, I told you not to trust people, but you still did. You you fell for all this story about Keiko, my girlfriend, and, and I think she even goes, like, well, what about Keiko? And he's like, there was no Keiko. That was, that was bullshit. Yeah, he's like, yeah, you dumb you bitch. trust me. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to kill you. He goes, this was my plan on getting off the island. I was just going to kill you. I was going to win. He kind of taunts Shuya because he's reaching for a gun and he goes, oh, do you think you're going to be able to kill me with that? And then Shuya jumps on Noriko and we hear a couple shots ring out and it just cuts to Mr. Kitano, (laughs) who is saying goodbye to the military. They're leaving the island because the game is over. And he's kind of told him, he's like, don't even look for the bodies. Don't worry. Just get the hell out of here. And I really like this scene. He's waiting in front of the school on like a table doing like his morning stretches. And Shogo rocks up and he takes him inside he congratulates him. But then, like, this is where we, the audience, have been left out of everything. Because he brings him inside. He goes, I'm glad you've won. That's pretty impressive. But then he pulls a gun on him. And he says, but you cheated. You deactivated your necklace. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you know. When, you, how. Exactly. We don't, we're not privy to that information. But apparently, Shogo's deactivated his necklace somehow. And he, he brings up something about their system being hacked. And he was like, oh, that was you and not them, was it? And we're like, what? Like, what the fuck is he talking about? Whatever. And then Shuya and Noriko show up. They're not dead. It was all a ruse, all along. And when Kitano figures this out, he walks across the room to like a painting that he this painted is weird. with all of the dead children. And they've, you know, there's <laughs> some of them are beheaded, some of them are missing body parts, some of them are stabbed through with katanas and stuff. Mm-hmm. But in the center of this painting is Noriko. She has like a like a little golden kind of halo around her. And he said, if there's going to be one winner, I wanted it to be you. And if there's ever going to be somebody to kill me, it, it would be you. So he starts walking towards all three of them. And he pulls a pistol. And he's pointing it directly at Noriko. And Shuya, who remembers his father's suicide note, which was like written on toilet paper, which was like, you can do it or like go for it or something. He just shoots uh, Mr. Kitano, and it turns out he was holding a water gun. Yeah. So he starts shooting this water gun, and he just and Shuya just kills him. Kitano's laying there on the floor dead, and we think it's all over, but his phone starts ringing. And he just gets up, <laughs> walks over to the couch, sits down, answers his phone, and it's his kid. And we can hear the kid, like, yelling, and he goes, Look, I'm not coming home. You hate me. What's the point in coming home? If you hate somebody, you gotta realize that, that there's, like, repercussions to hating somebody. And then he throws the phone across the room and pulls out an actual gun and shoots it. <laughs> And then he just dies right there on the couch. And I'm like, oh, I kind of like that. I thought that was a cool death. <laughs> I think he's my favorite character in this movie. The whole stuff with him and Noriko. I'm not sure. What is, yeah, this is, this is strange because when he unveiled that painting, I thought maybe like, oh, is this like, d- did he predict that this would all happen or did this all go to, no, it looked like it was just kids were all dead in all sorts of ways it didn't seem like it was necessarily accurate to what actually happened in the movie but then it's like okay so he has this like weird obsession with noriko well, she's also the only one and that then we... ever showed up to his classes but but it, but it's it's creepier than that though it's it's like because it again going back to the dream she had which we see later 
Is it a dream? I don't know. But he's like, what would other people say about a teacher speaking to a 15-year-old student? And then she reveals that she has the knife that he was stabbed with. And it's just like, what is this? This is like... Yeah, yeah. Bordering on super creepy. It never... It, it remains an implied creepy. We never go further than that, deeper than that. But it is creepy. It's It's weird. Exactly. And I, I'm wondering if it's like, you know, obviously that creepiness, you're kind of led to believe there was something possibly physical going on between them. But at the same time, it also doesn't appear to be that way. It seems to be that she's the only person who has ever been straight with Kitano. Like he asked her, he's like, have my classes always been boring? And she's like, yeah, like they have been pretty boring. And she's been trying to protect her friends. She's got that knife. She goes, I don't know what to do with it, but I, I keep it now, you know? And yeah, it, the whole thing's, I don't know, just weird. And you're kind of led to believe that there might just be mutual respect between them. I don't know. But to get to the last couple of minutes of the movie here, our three main characters, they get on a boat. They just find a boat, they get on it, and they start heading back to mainland Japan. And Shogo asks Shuya to take the wheel. And he goes just outside of the cabin and he lights a cigarette and just lays down and he's dying. He's he's just dying from his wounds. And he perspires right there with half of his cigarette smoked, talking to Shuya and, and Noriko. And he his final words are, you know, I'm, I'm glad I finally made friends. When Shuya and Noriko get back to Japan, they're fugitives, which I don't understand this. They're wanted for murder and aiding and abetting a murderer. And now they're just on the run. But on well, the run I think it's together forever. <laughs> I think it's because of Katano. Yeah, but... Right? I, because they can kill all the kids they want in that game, but the official report is going to be that they killed the guy that ran it, and that's not going to look good. That's true. I guess that's it, yeah. But yeah, and then the movie just ends with them running the streets of Tokyo. Okay, I gotta ask you, though. I don't remember if it was after they were running in Tokyo or before that, but they revisit all of the dream sequences... So, yeah, it, it was after. So what are all the dream sequences? There's the one where with basketball. Yeah. Where. And which, Sh- Shuya's friend he, is asking him to he, take care of Noriko. Yeah, didn't he miss the shot in the in what we saw earlier? But in this, he makes the shot. I think And you so. kind of see, like, the entire class getting together. Um, we do see uh, the crazy girl just kind of leaving the arena. But... Yeah, and then there's the his friend telling her to take care of her. Let's see what, and then and then we also have. I forget the second one, but the last one is Noriko and Takeshi. Yeah, which we already kind of talked about. Yeah, but yeah, there was at least one more, and I can't remember. I don't remember either, and I, I watched this like yesterday. Yeah, well, I I guess that's the end, and I I'm really interested to actually hear your thoughts on this movie now that we've covered it. It's quite good, although. It was still somewhat of a disappointment given I had heard so much about this movie for so long and it's a really well-received movie. I think I'm the wrong person for this, though, because I think a lot of this movie's power is supposed to be how shocking it is to see 15-year-olds commit (laughs) horrible acts of murder. Yeah. But with all the shit that I've seen, that's really not that shocking. And I hate to say it, but I mean, you know, and, and you were saying kind of like, oh, there's more violent movies now. And it's like, oh yeah, that's true. But I'm just talking about like, listen, I, I've, I've seen like a dozen Lucio Fulci movies. Like this is nothing. (laughs) That having been said, like, there's a lot of really, really, really good stuff in here. There's, I, I like the idea of there's, it didn't all work for me, but this is basically just like a, a teen melodrama with this mm-hmm. like weird element thrown in where they have to kill each other. And 
it doesn't always work because we have those like kind of flashbacks to where we establish these characters and i think it maybe would have been a little bit better if we established the characters earlier in the film and just didn't have the flashbacks but i do like that all of these characters like they all have in their eyes more important stuff going on than the immediate threats that they face but they all die basically the same way it's 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 almost i kind of look i kind of viewed it as an allegory for like high school drama teen drama stuff doesn't matter like there's bigger issues in the world than you know yeah yeah if so and so likes you back or something that's kind of how i viewed it i'm sure you could take it any number of ways unrelated to that but i think i would say about half of that drama that character establishment like really worked for me i think it worked probably best with mitsuko and her backstory and overall she was just fun to watch i mean in so much as seeing i mean actually i was gonna say seeing someone stab someone in the dick a dozen times can be fun but no that wasn't her stabbing yeah, the no. in the dick that was no. a different person but <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah no i mean she's just she's really entertaining i thought she was one of the best actresses in the movie too yeah i liked the movie i didn't love it but i liked it what about you jim yeah i kind of feel the same way i didn't love it but i liked it my problem with it mostly was all the jumping back and forth from backstory to present day that kind of took me out of it also (laughs) and now now early on when you said this movie had like elements or things that kind of made it feel like an anime is that structure one of them yes and no because i just want you to admit that anime sucks no No, i'm I'm kidding i don't know how dare you (laughs) no but go on explain that because i'm not sure i followed that there is kind of like a joke in anime, as some of them, things like Naruto, like like some of the big three. So when I say the big three, there was Bleach, Naruto, and One Piece. Those are the big three made by Shonen. Bleach, that's like the worst Nirvana album. <laughs> and arguably the worst of the big three. But with things like Naruto and One Piece, you would be introduced to character, and then like five, ten minutes after introducing them, you would have like this whole backstory to them that took up the entirety of an episode. Like a 20-minute episode would just be devoted to backstory. And then the beginning of the next episode, you'd catch back up in with present day and yeah. and, they'd, and they'd fight or whatever, right? And they would do that with every villain, with every main character, with some side characters. One Piece is also kind of notorious for that. They, they do that with every side character, pretty much. And for the record, for the record, it's not just anime. They do this in the Peter Jackson Hobbit movies when they introduce the Pale Orc and Ugh, Thorin's yes, back, yeah. <laughs> backstory, and it's like 15 minutes yeah. of talking about that Pale yeah. Orc. Yeah, so it's not just anime, but okay. But those Hobbit movies were stretching to, yeah. to fit three movies, though. They really were. Yeah, the whole anime thing, I feel like it's done better in anime because you have more time to set up a, like an actual story. You can easily devote one episode to a side character's backstory when an arc is 100 episodes long, you know? Yeah, having no experience watching anime, I would I, that seems fair. what you're saying yes whereas this we're immediately introduced to a character and then we're immediately thrown into a backstory and we're like uh okay who is this person why does it matter you know not always immediately like we get mitsuko's backstory way later for instance we just kind of yes which i actually again maybe that's why i thought that was the most effective she's just the quiet girl at school and then we see her murder a few people and it's like okay so there's obviously more to her and then at the end we're like oh it all makes sense well, you know, and I think my problem with the whole backstory thing in this movie is that 
most of the characters just don't fucking matter. None of them actually do anything, and none of them amount to anything. The only reason we're being shown a backstory is to feel something for these characters who are killed, who, again, yes, ultimately but don't that's, do anything. But that is also partially what made that allegory work for me. Again, what I said about this allegory, that all of this bullshit doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I'm choosing to, to to kind of view this story. I mean, you don't have to view it that way. But in, in, and I do agree that like in the moment, those things might not be incredibly satisfying because it's like, oh, yeah, we finally find out this guy loved this girl and then she killed him. And OK, so what's the point? Like we we barely knew who this guy was. But then that's like when the movie's over, I'm like, oh, that's kind of what the movie was going for. This whole idea thing, at least, you know, that's me. Yeah. Well, then also, too, I mean, you could also look at it from the perspective that, you know, just because you think somebody's a bad kid, you don't know what's been going on in their life. Right? Yeah. Well, that's the Mitsuko thing in particular. Yeah. And and I guess the Shuya, though, he doesn't really do anything wrong. Also, there was something there was something that I wanted to mention with Shuya, which it's you probably didn't come across it because this was an issue of subtitles. But I think they just fucked up a subtitle he said something relatively early on he says something i think it's when they're in the cave with nanako and he says something like oh this is i think he's talking about when his dad died and it's like oh it's around the time i quit baseball he said baseball every scene yeah. we see it's him playing basketball i thought that was i think oh, they yeah, just i, I think uh... they just missed a few letters I, I i think they just screwed up in the subtitles that that was that was jarring to me. i think they did well <laughs> but i thought that was strange well you I mean, maybe he played baseball and he quit, but we never saw it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, but my version, though, the the English voice actor who was dubbing him was absolutely terrible. Like, the absolute worst. It was was painful to listen to him on screen. See, that's that's why, you know, it's easier to watch something dubbed because, you know, it's, I hate to say it, but it's easier to, like, look down at your phone and, you know, just, like, check Twitter or whatever you don't have to, because you Mm -hmm. can still hear what's going on, but... You, that's a huge rescue run with dubbed stuff, though. Is that there's just, like, some really weird voice acting choices sometimes that obviously not an issue with the subtitled version. So no, well, and it's funny. I, like, I, I yeah. watched it on Tubi, and I had assumed it was going to be in subtitles. And then when it started, I was like, oh, it's dubbed. Then I looked it up on YouTube, and I was like, I don't want to spend $4 to rent this on YouTube. <laughs> you know? But I, I guess just to just to briefly sum up my thoughts on the movie, I, I liked the premise a lot. I don't know if I was as... I do like the premise a lot. Yeah, I don't think this is the best possible execution of the premise. And I'm not saying The Hunger Games is better. But I I think that speaks to like how great the premise is with the that you can just take this general thing and and make PUBG or make Fortnite. (laughs) And you can kind of go anywhere you want with that kind of idea. There's some most dangerous game elements, too. It's not like this is the most original kind of thing in the world. Yeah, I there's something kind of, and then there's also like the some of the weird. I say weird, and I and I feel bad saying that, but th- there's a, definitely a cultural barrier. Yes, uh, between yeah. me and this movie, that a stronger one than I've felt with the previous Japanese films that we've done. The Street Fighter is a movie about a psychopath who kills people and eventually becomes a hero who still continues to kill people in the same way he's been killing them. He just somehow becomes heroic at some point. The Street Fighter is a very simple film. The Godzilla films, I know what I'm watching. This movie was a bit more, there were like some directorial decisions that like, I'm just like, oh, I'm not really sure what's going on there. Like with some of the dream stuff, I don't know why we showed the dreams. We showed that one dream with Katano in silence. Mm -hmm. And then later on we show the scene, the 
scene with Gatano with sound mm-hmm. where we and it's like okay I, I, I don't yeah. really have too much of a different feeling about this dream seeing it with dialogue yeah. and seeing it without dialogue and then when Mitsuko dies and and it just it's like a black screen and it's just her like I don't want it to, to be a loser or something that when that pops up on screen I thought that was strange it's like oh, why 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 do we why do we communicate this this way I just it, there might be a cultural barrier thing with that but I just thought it was strange yeah I, I also I also kind of want to rag on the runtime because like an hour and 10 minutes in I think there were like under 20 students left and I'm like, there's no way they can drag this out another 50 minutes. And they managed to do it. Well, <laughs> you know, no, I see. I didn't I didn't have a problem with that. I will say a lot of the early deaths are just suicide. Mm-hmm. So the so the last 20 are the hard ones, right, to get rid of. But <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, anyways, yeah, that's really about all I have to say about this. It was a fine movie. I didn't dislike it, but it wasn't my favorite. So I'm, I take it, not, not that we need to compare them, but we have done two Kinji Fukasaku movies. So do you prefer Battles Without Honor and Humanity? I do. And I think it's because there is less of like a cultural barrier there. I mean, it's... That's it's just a, a gangster picture, yeah, basically. Yeah, and, and it's really cool. And it's, it's full a of different like, different type of mafia, but it's, you know, I've seen mafia movies, basically. Yeah, but it's also full of cool looking people. And everybody sounds cool, and they do cool things. But again, like Battle Royale, or what's it called? Is that the movie? Yeah, Battle Royale. Like it's got a, such a great premise. And Takeshi, I love Takeshi in this movie. And there mm-hmm. are great, great parts about this movie. Mostly the premise, and like mostly like that first like maybe forty five minutes is okay. what I really liked. And then the rest just kind of felt a little dragged on. But like, it's it's still a good movie, but I got to take Battles Without Honor just because uh, it's just so cool. <laughs> All right. And that's fair. I think I slightly prefer that movie as well. But, it, you know, it was, I'd put the, I'd give these films the same half star rating, you know, the same, you know, eight out of 10, four out mm-hmm. of five, uh, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I uh, just a couple things before we move on to the Valley of the Guanji. I would just wanted to say, listener, if you're into... If you like these Japanese films, these Asian films, you're going to be pleased with our season. We're doing a number of them. Also, woohoo! <laughs> at least two actors in this film will appear in films later this season. Oh, how much later? Because I don't know any of the movies. I don't know how much later, oh. but 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 uh, we've got Takeshi is back. I think he directs. I think he stars in and directs the film that we're doing later this season. Uh-oh. No, he at least directed it. And then um, Kiriyama's back. He'll be back later. Okay. So, and then possibly more. I don't know. But we'll see those guys again. And on that note, let's dig into the Valley of Guanji. This is a film that features special effects by maestro Ray Harryhausen. Quite possibly the most famous effects person who's ever lived known for stop-motion creatures, yeah. the the famous sword-fighting skeletons yeah. from Jason and the Argonauts, probably his best-known sequence or best-known creatures. He did so many classics. This is one of his later efforts, and I don't think it's as good as some of the other movies, but there's still a lot to appreciate in the effects. This is obviously a dinosaur movie. This is essentially cowboys versus dinosaurs, really. They could have <laughs> called this movie that, and... yeah. I'm going to say that would have, not, not that that would have been a better title, but you hear the title Valley of Guanji and you're like, huh? Or if you watch what? the version yeah, I watched, then it's Valley of the Guanji. 
Either way, what's a Guanji? Who's a Guanji? <laughs> is that an actual valley? I don't know. Don't be such a Guanji, Patrick. In the context of the movie, we eventually find out what a Guanji is, but <laughs> but they don't saying. actually like say that it's it's strange. It's like oh, I don't yeah, know. Stop saying Guanji. <laughs> So the Valley of Guanji comes out in 1969. It is set in Mexico near the American border, and it follows a circus performing troupe as well as some kind of Han Solo-esque asshole um, former stunt performer who's now like a businessman (laughs) who wants to buy out his ex-girlfriend or whatever, played by James Franciscus, who is... The lead actor in Beneath the Planet of the Apes, the second Planet uh, of the Apes movie. That's the only other thing I've seen him in. Because I was going to say, I don't think I've seen any of these actors in anything. I actually, I, I'll say, I he, I think he's the only one I've seen in anything. But I enjoyed him quite a bit in this movie. I thought he was a very fun, like, cocky kind of hero guy. Mm-hmm. The film, unfortunately, kind of gave up on character in the second half but that's somewhat motivated by obviously what just happens in the movie because in case you're wondering it takes a long time for us to get to the titular guanji (laughs) which by the way is an allosaurus yes i believe so yeah no it is i I just i'm just saying that and then or well actually no i don't know maybe a guanji is just a dinosaur but allosaurus is a guanji Maybe it's the Guanji. I don't know. <laughs> okay, hold on. Let's clear this up really fast. When it's described in the movie, it seems that Guanji is just like a place, Valley of Guanji, and you're like, oh, and that's okay, that. Okay. I mean, that's the the title makes it. You know, yeah, yeah. But that's then, what I would guess from the title. Or Valley of the Guanji. You're like, okay, well, maybe there's something that lives there, or a species of things that are called Guanji that live there, and. Somewhere near the end of the movie, something is brought out of this valley, and it is titled, what's it? It's Guanji the... the Guanji the Great, Guanji the Magnificent, something like that, yeah. Yeah, and you're like, okay, maybe is is this? Oh, it's a a magician. (laughs) Yeah, and you're like, is this Guanji? What is Guanji? Who is Guanji? Well, because what's the, the gypsy lady... The gypsy woman told my mother... This refers to the thing that they brought as a Guanji or Guanji or whatever. So it's like, okay, is Guanji their word for dinosaur? Is it their word for Allosaurus? Is is their word for danger, omen? Yeah, I don't even know what culture this is. It's it's like a Mexican gypsy. Who is this lady? Yeah, well, at first you're led to believe that they're Mexicans, (laughs) and then you're told later that they're they're like, oh, the old gypsy woman. I'm like, oh, I think you're on the wrong continent, pal. (laughs) What do you think? Hey, yeah. g- g- gypsies can aren't they gypsies known for gypsies are travelers you're right travel yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. so they can they can come to north america if they want <laughs> but yeah so the film begins with a bunch of mexican gypsies who are they're, they're dressed like carnies yeah <laughs> and they're looking for one another one of the gypsies and he collapses he's got a bag there's something moving in the bag and we hear like horse whinnying or neighing mm-hmm. he dies and but they collect the bag and they bring it in the um old gypsy lady tia zarina says no we can't bring that back that it, there will be a curse on all of the land or whatever we cannot take things from the forbidden valley yeah return it to the guanji 
or return the Guanji. Is this a Guanji that they no, took? No, see, that's what I... No, I, I think... Because they take it from the Forbidden Valley. The Forbidden Valley is the place. Yeah, but so then, so then as the movie progresses, like, they, 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 the gypsy lady keeps saying, you have to return it to the Guanji. And then... Uh, oh, maybe... Like, here, oh. Here's, here's, my, here's my possible solution to this conundrum. <laughs> Forbidden Valley is the place that they go to, where they release the Eohippus. And then they chase it and they follow it into like a cave that leads to another valley. Is that the Guanji and where they initially took it as just the Forbidden Valley? Is the Guanji a place within the Forbidden Valley? No, I think the Forbidden Valley is the (laughs) valley, right? I think the movie itself is confused as to if Guanji is the this mythical place or if Guanji is the Allosaurus. But I think because they call the Allosaurus Guanji, I think Guanji is the Allosaurus. And it could be a classic instance of these are white guys who heard one Mexican gypsy word guanji and it's just like sure we'll call it guanji. Like, yeah, well that's just like that's just like uh, the British, right? When uh, yeah, a little bit. In like when they called it Rangoon instead of it, it was Yangon, and they're like, what, what, Rangoon? You say? <laughs> one of my favorite appetizers, crab Rangoon. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, okay. So speaking of confusing. Willis O'Brien gets a writing credit on this film. Okay. Who is that? <laughs> he is the special effects maestro behind King Kong, so I think he kind of got Harryhausen his start because he oh. d- he worked on Mighty Joe Young, which I think is Harryhausen's first film credit. However, Willis O'Brien was dead six, seven years before this movie came out, so <laughs> I think he, he created the story and... He probably floated it to Harryhausen because Harryhausen's a, a producer on this. Harryhausen, I, I think, did produce a few movies. He might have even directed the '80s Clash of the Titan Titans, but he w- was more—he's an effects guy. He's not primarily a filmmaker, but I think this was later in his career where he probably was producing a bit. And also, it's funny that you say that because Valley of the or Guanji is a very kind of late '50s, early '60s title. You know what I mean? Like it just. It just feels like it's at a at a place in '69. It's also a copy and paste screenplay from King Kong, basically oh, yeah, in a lot 100%. of ways. This is King Kong, just a little, just a different setting and a different monster, basically. But it's generally the same thing. But what surprised me was how convoluted the movie is before we actually get to the Allosaurus. Mm-hmm. And it's more than just an Allosaurus, of course. There's there's yeah, there's other dinosaurs. So we start with we got this circus performing. So this so this guy whose brother died with the whinnying bag. Is this Carlos? Yes. He apparently takes this to this local circus, traveling circus. It's like an old Wild West show. We see them do a parade, we see them do a little stunt show thing where they're shooting people out of carriages and stuff like yeah, that. Like oh, that's wagons, fun. And one of them catches fire and you're like, I don't know if that was supposed to happen. But yeah, and then uh, we meet, of course, TJ. TJ is played by Gila Golan, an Israeli model and actress who I've never seen in anything, but she's gorgeous. Is she, is she dubbed over? And she's clearly dubbed over. I was about to say that. There was like one scene. I think her first big scene with Tuck is, um, was just like, oh, that is not her voice. I, I just <laughs> know. It just, just doesn't sound right. But she is the premier stunt person of this troupe. And her big stunt is she gets on a horse and jumps <laughs> off a big like watchtower thing yeah. into a small pool. 
And what would you say jumps about 35 feet, maybe? Yeah, it, like it's, that? it's all I can tell you, it's very Looney Tunes-esque. You climb up to a tall tower and jump into a bucket of water. But it's a big bucket. Yeah, I mean, it's more than a bucket. It's like a pool, but... But yeah, and that's actually our first effect. It's a stop-motion horse and person on the horse jumping, and, you know, there's better effects later in the movie. For stop-motion, I kind of forgive stop-motion for being noticeable or, like, kind of bad, because I think it's... It's always going to be noticeable. Well, yeah, yeah, but it's also cute and kind of quirky, and, you know... And you have to appreciate the sheer amount of work that goes into it like yes. how long it takes and the fact that it's something that someone is doing by hand i'm not saying like the the movies with big cgi effects I'm not saying that doesn't take time too but there's just something more interesting when you can kind of see something created by hand i guess yeah i agree and like moving forward there's a lot of stop motion in this movie, and I don't care any which way or the other that it's stop motion. I, I'm totally fine with it, and I think oh no 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 I I don't either. I I just think this horse uh, of all of the stop motion things probably looks the worst. Yeah, but at any rate, so we have this character named Tuck. He was previously a stuntman in this traveling circus. He was previously the boyfriend of TJ, who kind of left her at like a random time. He's now working for a different circus, but he's like a big wig investor guy, and he wants to buy TJ out of her contract. Or actually, no, he wants to buy her horse, technically. And then he also finds out that she owes Carlos money, but then she's like, no, 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 it's all going to be okay because we've got this new act that's going to absolutely kill it, and we're going to make so much money. And the act is a tiny horse that people wouldn't really be able to see if they're in the audience, probably. (laughs) Got to question the money-making ability here. So there's a few other things going on. So <laughs> so Tuck befriends in, uh, a, a small Mexican child named... he. Well, he says his name is Lope, but everyone refers to him as Lopi, yeah. which I thought was kind of funny. So he's Lopi, I guess. And that this little boy, he's, he's kind of fun. He's this, like, streetwise kid mm-hmm. who's he's got dead parents, and he's going <laughs> to... Yeah, so fun. He's a bit of a hustler. He's selling mules or renting out mules in, in, you know, he's kind of Tuck's guide throughout this Mexican town. He also has been assisting a British paleontologist who's been going in the desert looking for stuff. And Tuck and, and Lopi eventually meet this guy, Professor Bromley, and he shows them what he's been studying. And it's tiny little footprints possibly small horse and they say it's an eohippus which is the ancestor of of the modern horse yeah but is, is that how big they got? this was confusing to me because i know horses they were old world not new world yeah but so i looked it up eohippus definitely is a thing though and it was in the americas oh okay so that's a thing this is i don't know if they were that tiny <laughs> it's a little it kind of looks like more, more donkey than horse because it's a little furry or whatever it's got three toes in, in, in the front legs, and, it, and maybe it's like four in, in the back legs, but it doesn't have hooves is the point. After Tuck sees the Eohippus, and he's like, hey, that looks an awful lot like what Bromley was talking about. So he takes Bromley in to look at it. Bromley is like, oh my god, I'm going to get a knighthood. You know, we, we <laughs> this is the most fantastic scientific discovery ever. This is an animal that's been extinct who knows how long. Like 50 million years. Yeah, he keeps saying 50 million years. He says that with the dinosaurs, too, which we all know that number is 65. Yeah. Everyone knows that number. 
I yeah. will say, I went, this was when I was a kid. This is before I understood just how much a million was. I always wondered, like, when is it going to become 66 million? Why is it always 65? Like, can, <laughs> it, And it's like, yeah, I'm not going to be alive for it. It's 66 million. I'll just put it that way. They try and so Carlos was the one who brought the Eohippocins. They try and get some information out of him as to where it came from. He makes the mistake of mentioning Tia Zarina and they go and look her up. And she's she refuses to help. She's like they, this thing, these Guanji things, they should be back in the Guanji or <laughs> they shouldn't be out here. I've been looking for this thing. We need to return it. And Professor Bromley decides to do a little scheme. And he's like, if I help you find it, will you return it? And then he just plans on following her so he can find this Valley of Guanji and find even more Guanji. <laughs> so how many paleontologists have gotten knighthoods, I guess, is the question. You know what? I'm going to look it up right he's now. Not qu- he's not quite Darwin. But, may- you know, maybe he would be if he found an actual, like, dinosaur or something. Maybe he would be Darwin, basically. There's Joseph Lady and Charles Knight. This is American experience. Uh, but <laughs> Charles Knight was knighted? I don't. <laughs> I think it's just going off his name. I don't know if that's if he was actually knighted. I don't think any. I don't think any paleontologist has been knighted. Yeah, I. I that wouldn't shock me. I mean, who's the biggest paleontologist of them all? It's Paul Serino. He's American, so he's not. Listen, I. I grew up obsessed with dinosaurs. I. I can name a few paleontologists. Paul Serino was always my favorite as a kid. Did a lot of digging in Argentina. I believe he discovered the Carcharodontosaurus, oh, which is in the Argentine, yes, slightly larger than the Tyrannosaurus rex. I think he also may have discovered Suchomimus or Giganotosaurus. Maybe he, he discovered like some huge ones. But anyways, this and when I say this film is pretty convoluted before we get to the actual dinosaurs, this is specifically what I mean, where it, it has to be Bromley gets the gypsies to steal the Eohippus, and then he follows them into the valley. But then Carlos, who was beaten by these gypsies so that so that they can steal the Eohippus and bring it to the valley, Carlos then tells TJ, and who's who's TJ's boss or employer? What's that guy's name? I don't know, but Champ. it's her dad, isn't it? Is it her dad? I don't think it's her I, dad, I, but he's, he's very protective of her, but I don't think he's, he's her dad. Well, either way, she thinks, or Carlos thinks that Tuck knocked him out. Yeah, well, no, he doesn't think that because later on it's established that he knew he was lying, but but he told them that Tuck knocked them out. So they go chasing after. So <laughs> it's so weird, but it's needlessly okay, so convoluted. <laughs> the gypsies have the Eohippus and they're running out to the desert. Bromley is chasing them because he wants to find the Valley of the Guanji. Yes. Tuck is chasing him because he now understands that, oh, by the way, Lopi is with Bromley. But he, when he finds out that Bromley has hired Lopi, he knows what's up and he knows that they're going to try and do something. So he's going to, be, to grab the thing and return it. But then TJ, Champ, Carlos, and a bunch of other red shirts, basically, are chasing after him because they think he stole the Eohippus. It's so weird. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> It's like a sitcom, like all these misunderstandings. Yeah, you you could put that Benny Hill music to it. <laughs> really. Everyone eventually meets up. They find the spot where the Eohippus was returned. They find the Eohippus, and they're all chasing after it. At this point, obviously, TJ still thinks that Talk had tried, tried to steal the thing. Um, at this point, the gypsies are out of the picture. They dropped the thing off and just left. But so, so they're like lassoing for it, and they're chasing it around. And it goes into a cave, but 
Champ goes into the cave and sees that it leads into like a bigger valley. And he's like, if we can just move these rocks a little bit, we can ride our horses into there and we can find out what's there. Bromley, of course, has scientific interests. Everyone else has business interests in this Eohippus because, and in particular, Tuck, Tuck believes the hype. If if mm-hmm. we can get this stupid, pathetic little horse <laughs> in a circus show, you're going to make a ton of money. You're going to settle with me in Wyoming. They do have a couple scenes of like, because it's established they're former romantic partners, but they, they reignite their romance. That's actually what leads her to kind of show off the Eohippus. Which, what does she call She calls it like Diablo or something? El Diablo. El Diablo. And, Mola, and my favorite part, remember the act? He was like, oh, what kind of act are you going to do? And she points to like a poster that's been made up. And she's like, El Diablo's going to dance in this glass dome on the back of my horse. And yeah, I was like, what the see, fuck? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's a crowd pleaser right there. That's right. Yeah, that's pretty weird. I can tell you that. The first ever horse on horseback dance act, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's something. It's, I don't know if that's going to sell out stadiums, but someone out there wants to see that. So they move the rocks and they get into the valley and then they pretty much immediately get attacked by a pteranodon, picks up Lopi and goes flying away. And so they have to track it down. <laughs> they eventually get it. It lands. They pull Lopi away. And then I can't remember which character it was, but he basically just like breaks Carlos, its neck and he's think, just like right? wailing on it. It is Carlos. Yeah. So we get a lot of in the close-ups. It's just like this big rubber thing, which is kind of fun. Yeah, which, to be honest, it looks fine. Yeah, it, it looks good enough. I thought the effect, uh, the, the stop-motion effects of, like, lifting Lopi up is was as good as you're going to get with stop-motion if you have, like, a person. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's one thing to have a creature, but have, like, a person in that creature's grasp. It's always going to look a little weird. That That's probably the worst stuff in King Kong when he's just holding a uh, stop-motion Fay Ray. But I thought they blended the shots pretty well together where um, it's just actual people on the ground on actual horses and the special effect is just going on above them. These groups, or this, this group kind of gets separated. Bromley studying the Pteranodon and he obviously recognizes what it is. TJ's taking care of little Lopi. And the others stumble upon a big-ass Allosaurus. Well, first, they, they, they stumble upon a tinier dinosaur. Yeah, it's like a Gallimimus or something. It's something like that. And they, they do a, a, a scene that's a shot that's kind of stolen in the movie Jurassic Park. There's, there's of course, in Jurassic Park, there's that Gallimimus. Oh, yes stampede and then the t-rex just like bursts out of the woods and just takes one and kills it this scene very much like that because they're kind of just chasing after the thing and then an allosaurus kind of just comes around the corner and kills it and it's pretty similar mm-hmm. so yeah the allosaurus chasing after them i really love the allosaurus except i wish it was like a it's kind of purple i wish it was a different color it's just what i don't you, know I, I wish did you notice that everything like the, everything was a little yeah well, what was the other dinosaur that was purplish styracosaurus yeah that one he was kind of purplish the allosaurus was purplish the claymation what was it pteranodon what what was it pteranodon yeah, yeah pterodactyl whatever yeah he was he was also purple and you're like did they only have one color clay like what's <laughs> like what's yeah going well on and also and this is just maybe it's a bit unfortunate maybe this would have just been too hard to do but put like a little bit of some kind of design in there, some stripes yes, and stuff. Yes, yeah. Because animals in, are in the, in the wild, you know. We got, Not everything needs to be a tiger, but <laughs> we can get a little... Um, yeah, put some spots little raccoon, on there or something. Raccoon, you know? or, or a little skunk, like a streak going yeah, down the that back. Been cool. That would have been fun. 
So yeah, the Allosaurus chases them, and then everyone meets back up, and they're like, hey, we gotta go. And then Bromley's like, wait, I'm gonna stay back here and study these things. And they're like, okay. And then, and then they take off, and then he sees the Allosaurus, and he's like, oh no, now I know why you were telling me to run. <laughs> so so he goes into this little cave, and he's kind of just watching this thing. And a Styracosaurus shows up, and there's almost a fight. It's not quite a fight. They're sizing each other up. After that, he is able to escape we had this thing earlier where, actually, you know, no, yeah, I was thinking maybe did they get through, did they get through into the, like, outer valley? No, they're still in the inner valley. They're still in the Guanji. They, yes. yes, well, or they're being chased by the Guanji, I don't know. <laughs> but they um, set up at a cave. And, oh, and this is where it's established that, because they noticed they, their guns didn't really have an effect on the Allosaurus. But then they realized that when they left in such a hurry that that they accidentally talked brought the prop bullets <laughs> that they used in like the show, and I thought, oh, that's actually kind of really fun. That is, that, but like, also I would feel so fucking dumb <laughs> in that situation. So at this point, they're preparing traps and spears, and they're making fires, and they're gearing up for a fight should this Guanji appear again, <laughs> and they are alarmed at the sound of someone fall of something falling into their they had they do like a uh, a false floor trap kind of thing but then it just turns out it's bromley so everybody's back so far none of our humans have died very few people die in this movie for there being for being a monster on the loose movie yeah well i, I think a few people in the guanji are killed by guanji and then i don't think anyone is killed in these scenes i think I mean, not in these scenes, but a little later on, I think Carlos might bite the dust. Yeah, that's the thing. Carlos probably does die. I don't remember, but that would make sense because he's an asshole. And then later on, I can tell you two characters that die. Yeah, and, and some, some random guy gets eaten on the street. But yeah, a few deaths for, for like, I mean, think of King Kong. When King Kong bursts through that door, he steps on a person, he throws <laughs> someone in their mouth. Like, a lot of people probably die. He knocks down these, like, big buildings where yeah. people are throwing spears at him. Like, there's several dozen casualties there. King Kong, the ultimate Guanji. <laughs> and and then, of course, the scene when everyone's on that log bridge and King Kong just flings, like, 20 of them to their deaths. Like, there's a lot of deaths in King Kong. <laughs> this movie could have done that. And they I just know. Didn't. They could have upped it a bit. We eventually get... Our our next showdown with the Allosaurus, which might be my favorite scene. This is when I mean this this is what you want to see: a bunch of people on a bunch of cowboys on horseback trying to lasso a giant thirty foot long dinosaur. Like this is just fun. Like this is the beauty of a cowboy versus dinosaur premise, I guess. Basically, like this kind of action is going to be a lot of fun, and and the effects are really good for uh and the things are it, everything's blended really well for the time. We have scenes where people are on actual horseback. They're holding actual ropes. And spears. And spears. And it's movie magic that, you know, this miniature Allosaurus is, is actually, like, there. And it's it's pretty good. Allosaurus, about, about three quarters the size of a Tyrannosaurus Rex, give or take. Okay, yeah. Now, how big is a... Is a what, what was it called again? A... a, stra- a st- <laughs> Well, I'm not sure how big Styracosauruses are, but that's what I was gonna say. Styracosaurus. I think they're slightly, I think they're slightly smaller versions of Triceratops, basically. And in all depictions I've seen of them, because their skulls were different, or their their plating, whatever that would be with the skull. Yeah, it looks ugly. Spikier. 
the name means spiked lizard, I suppose. So <laughs> that uh, the, their like shield thing, which is usually more rounded and smooth for a triceratops, more spiky with the ceracosaurus. Otherwise, it's if you've seen a triceratops, you can picture what this thing looks like. But yeah, so this scene eventually they get like three or four lassos around the allosaurus, but he breaks through the rope. Eventually. They don't really take down the Guanji. They kind of get lucky because they escape into the outer valley from the inner valley. This is, of course, the, where they had to pull down some rocks. And so the cave isn't the most stable. And so when the Allosaurus tries to, tries to squeeze through, a bunch of rocks fall on his dumb head. And there's a very fun shot of like a rubbery dinosaur toy falling to the ground, yeah. which is great. <laughs> And then, but the Allosaurus, of course, is still alive, so they, I guess, make a big, like, cage chariot thing, and they put him in that, and they're bringing him back to town, and they figure, we can save the circus, we can, you know, this thing will not escape, and we are gonna make a ton of money, and Bromley is still... Well, actually, when they get back, this is when Bromley, this is when Bromley realizes that it's all about the money. He didn't realize that they were gonna do this, even though it was pretty obvious this is what they're going to do yeah well it was funny because like earlier in the movie you had Bromley talking about wanting you know to show the royal society wanting to contact other paleontologists yeah suddenly now he's like noble all of a sudden it's like no i thought this guy was a jackass too he just didn't want the money so much (laughs) Yeah. yeah but this is where we get a little bit of a rift between tj and talk because talk thinks like okay they're just going to show this thing once or twice they're going to make all the money and then they can just get the hell out of this business and they can settle but she's like no we're going to go to new york she's like we're we're going on tour baby this thing's going all over the place and so tuck kind of leaves and then lopi says hey you better go chase after him she goes and meets up with him so they are not present when the guanji gets loose this is guanji the great the allosaurus and it is Tia Zarina's fault. Tia Zarina gets her little person gypsy friend to sneak in and release the Allosaurus, which he almost does. He gets a few bolts out, and then he has to go to the top of the cage at perfect biting height. <laughs> and so this is great when they like lift up lift up the curtain. You just see the Allosaurus eating this little person, and it's amazing. And... <laughs> There's also an elephant act, of course. Oh, this was... I hated this. (laughs) Whoever did the sound design has never heard an elephant before. No, and that's why it made it difficult. I mean, like... It was so strange. Well, the elephant starts getting eaten by the Guanji, but the guy... Also, Bromley gets crushed by the cage. Oh, that's right. Bromley's out. But the guy who's making the elephant noises was doing a noise like this. He was like... "Ah, ah." And this poor elephant. Yeah, I, I I felt more sheepdog than uh, elephant there. But the Allosaurus versus elephant fight is pretty satisfying, though. Yeah, well, I mean, you knew who was going to win. <laughs> no, but but that's, that's fun. It's like, okay, we'll take this prehistoric thing and have it square off against the world's largest living land animal and see who wins. Obviously, it's no contest, but it's fun. Yeah. Yeah, I, there's, I there's something really fun about that. And then, <laughs> so everyone's clearing out of this arena. Tia's arena apparently gets trampled. Well, she does get trampled, but and she may or may not die from that. We never see her again. Yeah. So I assume she does. And then everyone is running through the streets. And this is when Champ 
and Tuck and others all get on their horses and they're trying to shoot the thing. Then everyone runs into this big church, which I assume is like a cathedral or, so, or it, maybe not yeah, a cathedral, it, it, but well, it seems it like It looks a, like a cathedral, that's for sure. But who knows? So they all run in there. So Lopi falls down. And TJ goes and gets Lopi. And then, because the Allosaurus is like going to get into the church. And fortunately, this church has a back door. So everyone like leaves <laughs> through the back door. But then Tuck, TJ, and Lopi get into the church Tuck locks the doors behind him so Champ and the others can't get in. And then he's basically trying to fend the Allosaurus off away from them. And he stabs it with a like a spear, which is awesome. Well, it's like a flagpole. He eventually starts the thing on fire. He basically starts the entire church on fire. And those our three heroes escape. And the church starts collapsing and it falls on the Allosaurus. And he's dead. And so he he dies, and that is the end of the film. Not quite as poignant as King Kong. There's no beauty killed the beast kind of thing. There's yeah, but instead that's, but that's gotta the beast be, died. That, that's got to be rather allegorical, right? You know, <laughs> like don't mess with yeah. with things that died out don't, a long time. Don't ago. mess with Guanjis. Don't mess with don't mess with God and Guanjis. <laughs> so Jim, what did you think of the Valley of Guanji? <laughs> Uh, you know what? I, I actually liked it. I thought it was a uh, it was a fun movie. I didn't know what I was going into, but from the name, it sounded ridiculous, and I was afraid that it was going to be another Angry Red Planet sort of thing. But it was actually it, it was a fun watch. It it didn't feel like it was an hour and a half long. It felt like really it was like forty minutes or something. I don't know. The effects were fine. You know, there's no issue there. The effects were amazing in parts. Like at the oh, yeah. scenes like, when they're absolutely. lassoing the Allosaurus, that stuff's all really cool. Well, yeah, even like how they did the, the lasso, like I assume it would have been easier to just put like a little piece of twine or something around your clay figure, but they just, they animated the lasso as well. Yeah. Which was pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. The acting was fine. You know, I, I had no issues there. The only thing that was... Kind I of, thought James Franciscus was pretty good. Yeah, I, I liked him. And even uh, uh, Lopi, he was pretty fine. The only thing for that... for, a, for a kid performance in the 60s, I thought he was excellent. He's, he's also based on the actor's name. The actor's name on Wikipedia is Curtis Arden. I'm assuming he's putting on a Hispanic accent. Unless oh. that was like a... Unless it was a Hispanic kid and he just took like kind of a white sounding name. Oh. It, it could have been that too. But, but I mean, kids suck at accents. Like that's... <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good accent for a kid if he's putting that on, and I don't know if he is, but... Really, the only weak part of the movie for me was uh, was the convoluted plot to get to the Valley of the Guanji. Okay. And the whole kind of money-making scheme from the circus with the with the tiny horse. Yeah, I, I, for me, there were a few issues. The The convolutedness, it didn't bother me too much because I was, or I was, I was entertained throughout all that. Mm-hmm. Like I liked the, it was weird and it's like, you, you can't, we just get to the Guanji, but I enjoyed that <laughs> first act of, of, you know, we're figuring out the Eohippus, all this like paleontology stuff. And the, what kind of didn't work for me was that I actually thought the characters worked really well early in the movie. And then it kind of just, you hit a certain point and character doesn't matter so much. Like, they try to do this thing with the rift between TJ and Tuck, but at that point, like, I can't really relate to TJ anymore because she's, like, it's just, I, it feels like she did a 180, now she just wants to make a ton of money. Yeah. And then yeah. Tuck is, Tuck was Tuck was more fun when he was, like, this confident-ass dude who just wanted 
TJ back and he wanted to make a lot of money and now he's just like, oh, I only want to live in a ranch in Wyoming. And it's like, eh, he's not as fun anymore. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I also, if there was a character that I don't think needed to be in the movie, I'd say it was the old gypsy woman. Just because, like, I don't need, you know, well, this... So why is she there? She she does the you're all going to be cursed thing. Yeah. That's a staple of these monster movies, right? Well, well, exactly. But I mean, like, I really liked how it opened with the guy dying in that little creek. Yeah. With the horse in the bag. Well, well you, you you need someone there to, to try and release the guanji i guess right you have to you because that's i mean you could just have the guanji escape like king kong just escapes no one's trying to let him out but or you could have just had carlos rock up and pick up the bag off the body and bring it to the circus because it's already the forbidden valley like if a character had just called it the forbidden valley or whatever the hell it's called you'd be like oh people shouldn't be going there oh what this creature came from the forbidden valley it right we don't need a literal Yes, we don't, I guess technically we don't need a literal person talking about a literal actual curse, but I don't know. I, I'm kind of okay with that. I think it's... I mean, it, it's silly. I mean, and, and I'm at, at the end of the day, I'm fine with it, but you know. I like the payoff of a little person being eaten on uh, trying, as he's trying to allow this <laughs> Allosaurus to escape its confinement. I'm yeah. okay. And, and that if you, if you want to go the angle of someone needs to let this animal out... Going with a weird group of gypsies who are like, no, 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 this thing should be back in it, in the Forbidden Valley. That's that's a decent solution to that, you know. Yeah, and, oh, and also too, I mean, something you brought up earlier that I totally agree with you is that I wish the Guanji had eaten more people or killed more people, or there's a bit more of a rampage other than him in an amphitheater eating an elephant and then getting out onto a street and then turning around and going directly into a church, you know. Were you not way more entertained when it was just a couple of cowboys taking on the dinosaur than you were when he's wreaking literal havoc in an entire town? Yeah, well, because the cowboy stuff was, I don't know, it was just so so exciting to see cowboys facing off against a dinosaur. It's fun and it's different. It's it's different. It's it's like I've seen monsters roam about cities before. I haven't seen people trying to lasso an Allosaurus before, I guess. But, I mean, it's, it's also like in, in King Kong, though... I think I prefer most of the mayhem on Skull Island to the mayhem in Manhattan. I prefer the T-Rex fight. Maybe I'm not just a huge fan of the monster wreaks havoc through a a city, third act, you know? Yeah, I get that. But what are your thoughts on uh, (laughs) Valley of Guanji? It's pretty good. I I was not disappointed. I I did not. This is the first time I had seen this film, and I wasn't certain of that. Because I'm tempted to say there's another cowboys versus dinosaurs movie out there in fact i'm gonna look up to see what that is because i'm pretty sure there's one in black and white okay there's a movie literally called cowboys versus dinosaurs that came out in 2015 (laughs) oh eric roberts is in it oh wow here it is the beast of hollow mountain it's a 1956 weird west horror film about an american rancher living in mexico who discovers that his missus that his missing cattle are being preyed upon by dinosaurs so okay that also, Willis O'Brien has a writing credit on that as well, so this film we just saw might be a remake. It might be literally... No way, really? Willis O'Brien wrote that story, and then he thought that movie sucked, and he's like, yeah, we can do better, and then he dies, and then... So anyways, I think it largely gives you what you're hoping for out of a Cowboys versus Dinosaur movie. There's some fun stuff. It's more than just... what there's. It's There's a variety of creatures... Which is always the the best Harry and He's not just doing one monster. He's doing an Allosaurus. He's doing a Styracosaurus. He's doing Pteranodon. 
he's doing an Eohippus. Like, there's there's a fun in it. He's doing an elephant, which, unfortunately, the sound designer thought they were doing something else. But that's fun. I think it's a, a charming movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a charming movie. It's it's far from perfect. Thought the character stuff was strong in the beginning and it you know, kind of petered out and wasn't strong by the end. But the acting's fine. James Franciscus pretty good. Richard Carlson is champ. N- nothing really great to say about him. Not, not that he was bad, but I just wanted to highlight him because he made a bunch of science fiction movies. He's the lead in Creature from the Black Lagoon, among others uh, from the 50s. So I've, I think he's maybe in It Came From Outer Space. Like, I've seen him in a number of 50s sci-fi movies, so it's good to see him here. But, yeah, I liked it. I, it's not not a film that I'm going to rush out to see again, but I don't regret my three ninety nine rental or whatever, you know? Yeah, it was refreshing. Above all else, I think. In what way? Just to see a dinosaur versus cowboys movie. I think that's something I've never okay. seen. It, it was an interesting watch. And then also just the cl- all the claymation. It was just a nice touch, you know? I thought a movie from 1969 about cowboys and dinosaurs was going to be absolute utter dog shit. And it turned out to be pretty see, okay. Is, I, why did you think that? I, I don't know. Did, did, have you never heard of Ray Harryhausen? Because he... I, I know who he, Ray he Harryhausen elevates is. Stuff. He, you're, not, you're not getting Angry Red Planet with Harryhausen. No, but I, I think the basically. name... I think the name was tricking me. Valley the name of the sucks, Blanche, yeah. And I was like... <laughs> I don't know about this. It was an enjoyable movie, but I agree with you. I'm not going to rush to watch it again anytime soon. So, Jim, which of these two films do you prefer? You know what? I think I actually have to go with (laughs) Valley of the Guanji. Make your case. I really liked Battle Royale, but there was just aspects of Battle Royale that I really liked, whereas I think I was more satisfied overall with Valley of the Guanji. Because again, it's pretty much just stems off of everything I just said. It was something I'd never seen before in it's a, a cowboy sci-fi genre that I've never really explored other than Cowboys and Aliens or whatever that was that came out a couple of years ago. Oh, I know. I never saw that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I was just, I, I just enjoyed it. And I just enjoyed all the, uh, the special effects. And um, it was just, again, I, I, I don't want to use the term refreshing, but it was just like drinking a tall, cool glass of water. I was like, wow, this is a nice little surprise. Whereas I was confused. When has water ever surprised you? I t- <laughs> when it's like particularly cold and you don't expect it to be very cold. But <laughs> Battle Royale, I don't know. I was confused a lot by it. And there were just like lots of loose ends that were never tied up by the end of the movie. I obviously liked the child murder. I thought that was all great. I enjoyed the Takeshi from Takeshi's Castle being in it. But most of all, I think what made that movie exciting for me was the premise. But it wasn't executed necessarily in the way that I wanted it to see. Or or in the way that I wanted to see it. So I think I have to go with Valley of the Guanji. I'm surprised. I know, me too. Me too. Because you're into the weirdo Japanese pervert stuff. Okay. um... (laughs) Listen, Let's backtrack. I liked it a lot, but I think Valley of the Guanji just kind of, like, it just eked out ahead. Just a smidge. So it's close. Yeah, it's very close. Like, because, uh, you okay. know, Patrick, 20 minutes from now, I could say, oh, you know, Patrick, I really agree with you. I think Battle Royale was a really good movie. Why was your voice change? I... <laughs> okay. I prefer Battle Royale. I think, I mean, overall, it's just a better movie. There were definitely aspects about it that I didn't really like. But really, with the exception of the charming special effects nothing blew me away in valley of the guanji it was just like it was a reasonably well-told story but it's you know it's king kong and it's not as good as king kong whereas like battle royale 
there were some aspects that were just like awesome. There were some scenes that are like great, like with all those girls and the poisoned, yeah, like that was a great scene. Spaghetti. <laughs> I thought the scene, even when Katana was introducing the whole thing and they're watching that video, I thought that scene was so expertly done in just like introducing the stakes. We see our first child murders of the film my favorite scene out of both movies that we watched is when takeshi throws the knife at the girl after throwing the chalk at the first girl because you think he's gonna whip another hunk of chalk at this chick and it he just flat out kills her and it was great <laughs> completely okay unexpected. yeah but i thought that i mean that that scene as a whole was really wonderful mm-hmm. yeah i i don't think battle royale is perfect of all the teen drama stuff and some of the flashbacks and like i would say only about half of those worked for me but all the drama that worked for me, like, really worked. And that's really ultimately why I'm going with Battle Royale. I, I think it excelled in more ways than Valley of the Guanji did. So, Jim, how do these two films stack up as a drive-in double feature? I don't really think they work that well together. I always got to go with tone. Like, they're just tonally so different. And what they're covering is just so different. It's You have cowboys and dinosaurs versus... 15-year-old versus 15-year-old, you know? And I don't know, they don't match, but they're both fine movies. Yeah, I agree that they're both fine movies. I also agree that they, yeah, I'm just not really seeing it with this double feature. I think you mentioned tone, yeah. Battle Royale is like, a, I, I would say it's a really unique tone because it's incredibly dark, but it's also like weirdly funny in some ways. Like there's some, there's definitely dark comedy, particularly with Katano. Yeah, it's just weird to go from that to a movie that's a monster movie but this is a monster movie that it's it's an old classic monster movie like it's not it's all fun and it's not like like you don't care when characters die yeah, in it, Valley it's, of the it's Bungie, not which is which serious. is fine I, that's yeah that and that's not a I'm not, that's not a complaint but it, yeah it's just weird and you know we we get one kid in Valley of the Guanji and yeah that kid wouldn't have lasted 30 seconds and uh <laughs> Actually, he probably would have done well. That kid's is, that kid's resourceful. Uh, he there probably would have been a language barrier where I don't think he would have understood the instructions. But yeah, but yeah. So Jim, would you like to hear about what we are doing next time? I do. I'm getting my notepad out so I can write it down. We're doing another Japanese film. There's a lot of Japanese Whoa. movies coming up this season. Some Hong Kong movies as well. We are doing Ghidorah, the three-headed monster also known as Ghidra, the three-headed monster, depending on what version you have. That is, of course, the next film in the Godzilla series. We have not yet been introduced to King Ghidorah. (laughs) One of the greatest monsters ever. And then we are doing a film that I know literally nothing about other than it's on Tubi and its poster's kind of terrible. And that is Twice Dead. It is from 1988. I don't know anything about it. For all I know, this is like a direct-to-video movie. Okay. You know, I don't think I know any actors who are in it. Well, you know, as as per usual, I haven't seen either, so I'm looking forward to them. <laughs> Next episode, join us for Ghidorah, the Three-Headed Monster, and Twice Dead. Can't wait. All right, we'll catch you next time, folks. 